Welcome to the School of Travel's podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the School of Travel's podcast. We're actually back now after taking the month of August off for our summer vacation, and it's great to be back, and I'm actually excited today to bring you a solo episode, episode 62, which is going to be about my journey to getting long-term residency in Portugal. I actually interviewed someone about this last year. It was episode 44 with James Cave, if you want to go back and have a listen, He writes the blog Portugalist.com, which I'm actually going to be referencing a few times today and linking in the show notes for this episode, because it's been a very popular episode and getting residency in Portugal is actually really popular these days. So I hope that this episode can really help someone out there who's been thinking about it, who's maybe visited Portugal before, or is just thinking about making a change in their life and wondering where in the world they might be able to go to next, or maybe where they can move to and stay for a while. So I'm going to share my personal story with you today. And I will say before I begin that this is going to be very American-centric, shall I say. I'm going to try to give a broader description, but a lot of these things are what happened to me personally as an American when I went back to the U.S. to apply for this visa that I now have for long-term residency in Portugal. Okay, so first I'm going to begin with my background with Portugal itself. I first went to Portugal in 2018 after meeting a lovely Portuguese couple, shout out to Rui and Maria, in Colombia, of all places, when I was on a hiking trip in April of 2018. I had been traveling in South America for five months, and Colombia was was actually the last country in South America that I went to before flying to Mexico and moving back on to the U.S. And I did a five-day trek of the Ciudad Perdida, which is the lost city. It's actually a settlement, uh, an indigenous settlement that is older than Machu Picchu. And it was a really popular trek that you could take in the northern part of Colombia. And I met this, like I said, this lovely Portuguese couple on my tour group. We had about 20 people in our group. And me and my friend Anna, who were visiting and going on this hike together, we noticed that we were having some like really good conversations with this couple and we were really bonding with them. And both Anna and I had, neither of us had ever been to Portugal. And to be honest, it was not a country that had been on my radar. I was always thinking about Spain, which I think is quite common with American tourists. We think about Spain, France, Italy, but Portugal for the longest time was never on our radar. And so This couple, they offered me the chance to stay with them in Portugal if I ever decided to come later. And actually, two months later, in June of 2018, I went to Portugal for the first time and I got to stay with Rui and Maria. And I actually had two friends from Japan come and visit me for my first trip, which was about 10 days. I got to see Lisbon 
and Coimbra and Porto on this trip. Uh, so it was a good mix of, of places, but I was really a, a tourist. I was just, you know, exploring and seeing what this country was all about. One of the first things I noticed about Portugal was that there was so much sunshine and so much, uh, and the prices were actually really affordable and the people were really friendly. Um, I will say though, now that I, now that I'm thinking about it, it was very cold. It was unseasonably cold when we first got there in June. Uh, I've since learned that June does not mean warm in Portugal, but we still had a fantastic time and we got acquainted with the country. Then in 2019, I went back again, also got to stay with Rui and Maria again, and also went to the island of Madeira for the first time, which is a, an hour and a half from Lisbon. And it's this gorgeous island that's also part of Portugal and went on another hike with my friend Anna and our friend Rolando. So I was like, this country, it's, it's really beautiful. I'm really bonding with it. But it's still in 2019 was never thinking this is going to be my home. But then the pandemic happened and a person who had been traveling to a new place every two weeks, me, was stuck in one country for seven months in Japan and, you know, was wondering with my American passport, what was I going to do? The issue for me was that because I had not been living in the U.S. for many years, I didn't have U.S. health insurance. So going to the U.S. and staying with my family was not going to be a very cheap option once I started paying for health care and, you know, God forbid, going into the hospital with COVID-19. So I avoided going to the U.S. for the most part during the pandemic, also because they had had such terrible COVID numbers that it just didn't seem like a safe place to go. So I started thinking when I was in Japan for seven months in 2020, I think Portugal might be a place I want to live. I don't know when this pandemic is going to end. And I knew that Portugal had quite a friendly stance on opening their doors to foreigners. Like they had a lot of ways to get into the country, uh, especially two different types of visas that I'm going to talk about later that Americans could get quite easily if they ticked the right boxes with their income and their financial situation. So started looking into it and I got this idea that the next place I was going to fly to after Japan was going to be Portugal. I was going to move to Portugal in August 2020 and I was going to start from Portugal applying for this visa and I was going to live there and it was going to be no problem. I could go straight from Japan to Portugal, not have to leave the country and stay as long as I wanted. That was what I thought I was going to do. But in August 2020, I made what at that time was quite a difficult flight from Japan to Portugal. It was a really tough transition because of all the paperwork involved, all the uncertainty that was still going on in the world. And I was calling the Portuguese embassy. I was calling the Japanese embassy uh, and trying to figure out how I was going to be able to get into the country before vaccines were out, uh, before it was easy to get a PCR test. And I actually managed to do it. Um, I, I don't even know to this day if I would have been able to 
make that flight happen again. But I somehow flew from Japan right at the right time of summer 2020 when the borders had opened a bit more. And I didn't take a PCR test. I didn't have a vaccine. I flew from Japan, got to Portugal, and I explained to them that I had been living in Japan for seven months, that actually at the time, Japanese tourists were able to go to Portugal and uh, that hopefully it was going to be fine. And the border guards actually let me in. And I then also had a friend with a business in Portugal at that time. And I ended up being able to enter the country because I was working with him and I had a business letter from him um, explaining how I was going to be helping his company, which was also true. And that's another part of the story that I will explain later in this episode. Okay, so that's it. That's how I got to Portugal last year, August 2020. And I had already made a, uh, I'd already set up an appointment with a lawyer to talk about how I was going to get this visa now that I was in the country. I uh, really had no idea how it was all going to work, especially with the pandemic. But I quickly learned from this lawyer who I met with in person in Lisbon that if I wanted to get a visa in Portugal without leaving or applying from my home country, it was going to cost about 2,300 euro. And that was with the uncertainty of even being able to get the visa quickly. Like they said, we can help you apply from here, but it's going to take a lot longer than if you go back to your home country. And, you know, I was planning to be in Lisbon last summer. I was like, okay, I know I can be here for 90 days as a tourist. And then if I get an appointment with the you know, with immigration to get a visa, I can stay as long as I want, right? Well, I ended up meeting a friend. I, I was really networking uh, once I got on the ground in Lisbon to figure out what was the best way to do this. And I have to have a shout out to my friend Nissa, who I met at the Lisbon Digital Nomad Meetup, which they actually have every Thursday in Lisbon. And she had applied as an American I would say about five months earlier, and she had just kind of gotten in in February. She was applying and all the borders, as we know, everything was shutting down in March of 2020. So she explained to me, Becky, the best thing to do. I know it sounds crazy. I know America is doing terrible right now, terrible, terribly with their COVID numbers. But you need to go back to America and you need to apply from there. And she explained to me that the biggest issue with applying from Portugal, if you're from another country, is really that the systems in Portugal for the initial setup of everything, they're very slow. Depending on the country, I've heard stories of people waiting for three years to get a date with immigration to get your processing of your visa done. They, they can stay in Portugal for three years waiting, but they can't go anywhere else. They can't move forward with their lives by getting this visa if they apply from Portugal. Some of the problems that you have with this, for example, is digital fingerprinting. To apply for the visa, you need a background check, a criminal background check, and the digital fingerprints. And the only place to get those that fingerprinting done was the U.S. Embassy, which had appointments all lined up for months. I went on their website and was just having a look, and it was going to be at least a month for me to get fingerprints taken. So although I really didn't want to go back to the U.S. at that time, I was really scared about COVID. 
I decided to take a flight and go back to my hometown. I also knew that if I was with my family, it would be easy to do things like print documents, go to the bank and get money orders, which you need to do, go and get my passport photos taken. In Lisbon, I had a couple of friends, including the couple I had met back in 2018, but I didn't know how to do anything. I didn't know where to get a passport photo. I didn't know where to print things. I mean, it's actually quite difficult to get things printed in Lisbon and things are all over the city. Whereas in my hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio, I knew that I could, I knew where to find all those things and my family had a car, so it was going to be easy. So that's what I did. I flew back. I arranged actually five weeks after I landed in Lisbon in 2020, I flew back to the U.S. I landed on August, or sorry, I landed on October 1st. 2020 to my hometown. And immediately I had my parents drive me to the only post office in our city. It actually wasn't even in Ohio. It was just over the border in Kentucky. Uh, The Cincinnati airport actually is in Kentucky too, which is a note of trivia there. I had them get my digital fingerprints taken And so right away when I landed, I was already getting everything together to apply for the visa. Five days for me to get my paperwork together. And five days from landing, I had submitted all my documents to this company called VFS Global, which I'm going to link to in the show notes. And it took one month from submitting to get my visa and to have like the date that I was going to enter Portugal again. So I'm going to get back to that process in a little while. But now I want to talk about the two different visas. If you are interested in getting long-term residency in Portugal, I want to talk about these two different visas and the positives and negatives to both of them. So if you want to apply as a non-EU person, so yes, keep that in mind. Everything I'm going to talk about from here, it's for non-EU people. There's a different, very quick process for people who are EU residents already if they want to live in Portugal, but this is going to be the case for people outside of the EU. So there, the D7 visa is for people who are retired or are self-employed and people who can support themselves financially already. And you have to show that when you apply for the D7. Uh, the D7 is definitely the cheapest option if you want to get a visa, but because it's cheaper, you also have the requirement of staying in the country for around six months a year. But this really, this is kind of a gray area. I know people who are only staying for four months a year, or they're staying two months, they're leaving the country, they're coming back for two months. There's no like, black and white here about the time you spend in Portugal for this D7 visa. But keep in mind that is one of the requirements and it's the big requirement that distinguishes it from the golden visa, which I'm going to talk about next. But first of all, for the D7 visa, you need to uh, just show that you have enough money 
in your bank account, which is it's around, if you're a single person, it's about 7,200 euros um, for your bank in your bank account. You have to show that you have that. And you need to show that you either have sufficient monthly income that's stable coming into you, com- whether that is from a pension or from uh, your your job. So in my case, I may I'm a proofreader and I'm paid once a month by my client. I have a main client and it's generally around the same amount of money every month. And I, like I said, I get it every month. So I was able, I had to show that I had to show six months of my bank account statements that I was making enough money. So that's a big, that's a big requirement and you need it to get an FBI background check, as I've already mentioned. And you need to show that when you get to Portugal, you have adequate accommodation. So for my case, when I applied, I actually booked for six months at a hotel on booking.com. And here's a little tip. I booked six months worth. I took the screenshots. I printed out all the documents. And then I canceled the bookings because I didn't really know where I was going to live in Lisbon once I got there. I didn't have friends that could let me live with them for six months. I couldn't show that. So the best way, and this is actually an idea I got from someone else who'd already done it and had been approved, go on to booking.com. There are plenty of accommodations that don't even charge your credit card uh, and then you can cancel for free. That's what I did just to get the first temporary visa. But you do have to show that. You also have to show that you have travel insurance to cover you for six months. So I had followed this same YouTube video and I actually got the six months worth of coverage, including all the way up to the time that you're going to arrive in Portugal. And that was through a company called Schengen Travel, which I will also put a link to in the show notes. I think it's really important for this episode to go to theschooloftravels.com and check all my show notes here for these links. I'm also going to link to that YouTube video. Um, this this woman did a fantastic job explaining her process, and I think you're going to learn just as much as I did from watching it. Uh, so I will link to that as well. Um, but basically, I mean, there's a lot of fine details here, but this is what I needed to do when I flew back in October of 2020. This is what I needed to do to get all the documents together and then send them off. Now, there is a company called VFS Global that handles the processing of visas for people from many, many countries. And I needed to go to the link for VFS that was Americans trying to get to Portugal. And this company is actually fantastic because you get all your documents together and then you send them off to VFS. They look through everything and then they'll tell you if you're missing something. And if you are, you have to send it to them and you know back and forth until it's, it's ready. And then they will take your package and send it on to one of three different consulates in the U.S. that will apply and, and like approve your visa or, or not approve it. And this is where I should mention that in the U.S., there are three offices who handle this, New York, San Francisco, and Washington, D.C., Depending on the state where you are resident, you will be working with one of these three different offices. And I'm from Ohio, so I was put into the D.C. office, which is actually quite lucky because at the time I was applying, there was a rumor that the New York and San Francisco offices were like flooded with appointments. It was a long waiting list. It was it was like a terrible, you're going to wait months to get 
an appointment with these people, but DC was not nearly as crowded. So I actually think DC has started taking some of the work from these other offices. That's what I've heard. Um, but the thing is like, I'm, I was from Cincinnati. I was in Ohio when I was putting all these documents together. I think this is, there's a misconception that you have to go physically to these consulate offices and apply and sit down and have an appointment. And that is not the case. You can, like I said, mail all your documents to this company and they will then take your documents and send them on to, let's in this case, use DC. And the DC, you, you at that point, wait for the approval. And once you get your approval, VFS will come back to you and say, okay, you've been approved or actually, sorry, I got an email from the Washington DC consulate. And then I told VFS they've approved me and VFS said, okay, now send us your passport. And they, you prepare like a UPS package They you, you like quickly send off your package uh, express and they will then send it on to the DC office who will put the actual temporary visa in your passport and then send it back to you. And so you can, you have the option to pay for express for all of this so that it's, it's done really quickly. Um, Once I got notice, it took a month for me to get approval from the DC consulate. And I think within a week I had my passport back, you know, after sending the passport, I had it back with the visa so it was a very fast process in, in that sense. But this does mean that you will have to stay in your country and apply from your home country and wait to be able to send your passport on. So you don't want to go to the U.S., for example, and then go on to Mexico with your passport. If you do that, you're going to have to fly back into the U.S. Uh, and, you know, then send the passport off and wait somewhere while this passport comes back. I think a lot of people hope that they don't have to stay in their home countries after they've applied, that it's just a quick trip. But there is that point where you're going to have to be back in your home country to send the passport away to the office. So um, I had a really strange situation, which I think I'll mention here just to like get, make you aware of this option. So it's actually possible to have two U.S. passports at the same time. But the second one you apply for is only for special situations. In my case, I had applied for a second passport in 2017 when I was still living in Japan to go on a trip with my mom to Israel. And I knew in that from Israel, I was going to cross a land border into Jordan. And because Israel doesn't stamp your passport, uh, but if they do, sometimes th- there's rumors that sometimes they stamp it and they, they make a mistake or something, and you might get an Israel stamp in your passport. If that happens, certain other countries, such as Iran, will not let you enter if they see that you've been to Israel. And so I wanted to avoid that if I crossed a land border into Jordan. And so I said, you know what? It might be a good idea to get a second passport. Let's just see if I can do it. Well, I was very lucky because by that time, I was a permanent resident in Japan and Tokyo has a U.S. embassy and it's not that busy. And I was able to physically go there because I was living in Tokyo. So I I very clearly remember going into this office and the guy, like he was flipping through my passport and he was considering whether he was going to approve me for the second passport. And he said, why do you travel so much? And all I said was, because I like it. And he kind of looked at me again and he put, you know, gave my original passport back. And he's like, 
Okay. And a week after I heard that I was approved for the second passport and I always kept it with me, but it's only good for four years. And never at the time I got that second passport did I imagine I would be using it to help me avoid extra taxes in the U.S. during a pandemic. But what I ended up doing was I flew from Portugal to the U.S. on my first passport while holding my second one. As soon as I had applied and done all of my documents, I took my second passport and flew to Mexico. And I stayed there for two months because I had no idea how long it was going to take to get approval for this temporary visa. And so I was in Mexico. I was saving money down there. I was spending time with some other nomad friends. And my mom had my original passport. And so once I heard I was approved, I had my mom send the the passport to D.C. She got it back. Everything was kind of certain. It's like, okay, we've got your passport back. And then and only then did I fly back with my second passport from Mexico back into the U.S. And then I took that first passport And I flew to Portugal officially because there's also like that you need to come in on the passport, obviously, that has the temporary visa in it. And they want you to fly in. They they want it to be official and uh, have that record that you've entered on that visa. So that's what I did. I know it sounds kind of complicated, but um, it is an option for people out there. Just also to let people know, um, the pandemic was a very special time. I think there were exceptions being made. I think a few people were getting their passports mailed to them in Mexico. But I've read a, a posting March, I think it was March of this year on the VFS website, and they've really encouraged people and reminded them, you've got to apply from your home country. You've got to physically be there which of course I did, but they're kind of encouraging people like, don't leave the country. We're not mailing your passport to another place. So just want to reiterate that this is probably not something to do if you only have one passport. Uh, So that was my process. And um, let me go back to the other type of visa. So I mentioned with the D7 visa that you need to be supporting yourself in some way, whether it's pension or your own self-employment income, and that it has to be stable income, but it doesn't have to be that much. I would say you only need to make like 2,100 euro, 2,500 euro a month, and that might be high. (laughs) You might be able to get away with like 1200, 1500 euro, but just, just double check for your situation. Um, okay. But the golden visa sounds kind of special, right? The golden visa. It's actually been uh, a program that Portugal has had since 2012. And since that time, there've been about 4,200 people that have received the golden visa. And there, there are seven ways that you can get the golden visa. And I'm going to say them here really briefly. So one of them is if you put a, if you send a million dollars of a million euro, I should say, of your money into Portugal and you send the million euro and you have to keep it there for five years minimum, actually six, if you want to get citizenship. This is the other big reason to apply for a visa in Portugal is after five years of holding either the D7 or the golden visa, you get uh, permanent residency. And generally after the sixth year, you can apply for a Portuguese passport. When you do that, FYI, you will have a language test, but just for getting residency at the beginning, you don't need to speak the language, but they will expect you to speak the language by that time. 
Okay, so the golden visa, million dollars into a bank account in Portugal, or you can create at least 10 Portuguese jobs. Now, I don't know if you need to show that those jobs continue for five years. Um, there, I think there are documents you need to send and requirements for that, but it is a way if you're a business person and you want to start a business in Portugal, that's another way to get a golden visa. You can also purchase property in Portugal worth at least 500,000 euro, or you could get uh, real estate in an urban regeneration area of the country that is at least 30 years old. And in that case, it has to have a value of at least 350,000 euro. You could also put 350,000 euro into scientific research in Portugal, or you could invest 250,000 euro or more into Portuguese arts, culture, and heritage. Another way is to invest at least 500,000 euro in small and medium-sized businesses in Portugal. So for all of those different ways, you have to keep your investment for a minimum of five years after the golden visa is established. Now, the big difference here with the golden visa, and I think why people feel it's quite golden, is because you only need to stay in the country for seven days the first year of your visa, and then 14 days for each subsequent year. And so, I mean, that's almost nothing. And that is one of the best deals you're going to find for residency requirements in the world. But that is a very high barrier to entry financially for a lot of people, including myself. I remember thinking that at first I was going to try to get a golden visa because my nomadic self was like, six months a year, that's so much. Ah, Do I really want to stay in Portugal that much every year after being such a traveler? But I went to that meeting with the lawyer that I mentioned um, when I first got to Portugal last year, and he said, no, no. That 500,000 euro for the property or however much you're going to pay, like the 350,000, it has to come from sources outside of Portugal. I had thought that maybe if I got a mortgage from a Portuguese bank, that the money they gave me for the mortgage would count towards this like 350,000. And it doesn't. It has to come from outside of Portugal. And let me just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, listeners, I don't have that much money that I can afford to just park in Portugal and get this magic golden visa. So I'm like, it's not an option for me. We're going to do it the D7 way. But thank God the D7 exists because this is really the golden ticket for so many people. I mean, I wrote a whole list, actually, of reasons that I enjoy Portugal, and I feel like it's such a nice place to live. One of those reasons is healthcare. You can get, with this D7 visa, access to the Portuguese healthcare system. And it was ranked, I believe, 12th in the world uh, last year. And they have a social, like, a free healthcare system. And they also have a private option. And even that private option, if you go with one of the local private medical insurance providers here in Portugal, 
it's like 75 euro a month for one person. And for me being an American, that is, that's nothing like I'll pay it now. That's like three fancy dinners out or, you know, three trips out to Applebee's at night or something um, to have access to really, you know, nice Lisbon hospitals and, you know, not being surprised by my bill every time I go to the hospital, except maybe surprised at how cheap it is, you know? So that is, that is priceless in my opinion. And it's just something that as Americans, we, we just don't even know what that's like. And we we just, we almost think it's impossible. And actually to me, that is the number one reason that I came to Portugal going through this pandemic, watching the uncertainty of everybody health-wise and just feeling like this vise, this potential like vise grip tightening around your neck. It's just like, you know, what's going to happen? Am I going to need to go to the hospital and become bankrupt from this experience or ask all of my, you know, loved ones to support what happened to me when who knows how I may have gotten sick? It's just... Is terrible. And, and knowing that there's a safety net in Portugal and it's not perfect. No healthcare system is. And I actually hope I don't have to use the healthcare system, but just knowing that it's an option is such a calming thing in a world where, you know, it, it, coming from a place where you have to either work full time and kill yourself to get healthcare from a company, you know, that's good enough, that's not going to bankrupt you. Or you have to pay sometimes more than your rent in healthcare costs every month. One thing about being a nomad is that, you know, I'm self-employed. I work for myself and I, I don't work in an office and I don't work for a company. And often that comes with having to pay more to support yourself. But in Portugal, you can be self-employed and you still can have either free or affordable healthcare. And that is just a game changer, I know, for so many of us around the world and, and so many Americans who've, who've really, they've been penalized if they're, you know, self-employed. They have to pay everything themselves for healthcare. This was actually the same issue that I faced in Japan. Although I was a permanent resident of Japan before I left, if I were to work, so once you're a permanent resident in Japan, it means that you can work for anyone. You don't have to work in a certain industry. You can start your own Company, you can do anything you want, but you will no longer receive half of your healthcare funding from an employer. And in Japan, it's very expensive if you're self employed to cover your own healthcare. It's a percentage of your income, and you still have to pay 30% of all costs after that, no matter what. So I found it really expensive to be working for myself in Japan. And I thought, mm, long term, I don't know if I can live here and be able to save and really move forward with my life. So I think I prefer the Portuguese way, but yes, healthcare is a very important part of the puzzle here. Um, so yes, whether you want the D7 or the golden visa, these are the two main options for you as a non-EU person. And I didn't mention because I'm a single person, there are ways for you to get your spouse or your dependent children or dependent parents also over to Portugal with you uh, in a process that's called family reunification. I'm not going to go into all the details because, as I said, I'm only talking about my experience. 
but that is an option for you. And if you look further into it and you follow my links and you watch some of the YouTube videos of families that have come over, you can learn more about that. Um, so let me go back now to some of the reasons why I really love Portugal and I love the ability to live here. I mentioned healthcare. That's my number one. I mean, as I get older, I was really as a nomad wondering what I was going to do if any kind of health crisis befell me or if I really got into trouble. Um, and, and now I feel like, okay, I feel this confidence and this peace about knowing what my options are and that I have a place I can go to. But number two about Portugal is really the openness and friendliness of the Portuguese people. Um, and and it's, it's interesting because all of our personal journeys are based on what we went through before. And I have this strange experience of being uh, a living in Japan for 12 years. And so in Japan, I absolutely love that country. It's still my favorite country, but the people are very polite uh, and it's, they're very hardworking, very efficient people, but they like to keep you, they like to keep their personal lives to themselves. And they don't ask you a lot of personal questions either because they also want to respect your personal life and not infringe on a, a boundary and I actually, as an American, I'm a complete, I'm completely opposite to that. I will share intimate details with you in the first 10 minutes if I, after meeting you, if I feel comfortable. And so I, I understand that that American quality might be too much for a lot of people as well. But I was feeling after 12 years of being in Japan that I wanted a kind of happy medium between the two. I didn't want to like, be too American and too probing and open, but I, I didn't want to feel that I didn't really know the inner thoughts of my friends and close, you know, loved ones there. So it, I'll just give you an example. When I was applying for a bank account in Portugal, I was being my American self and just like sharing some details about my life or that I had a boyfriend and, and, uh, the lady opening the bank account, she shared, you know, about her boyfriend as well. And I was just like, okay, this is, this is what I was looking for. This is an example of like, I feel a little closer to this woman who is a bank representative than, you know, and I just met her than I would have, you know, if I had been experiencing this in Japan. So that openness, that friendliness, instant friendliness is like something I really value. And it makes you feel at home. It makes you feel comfortable in the country. As I mentioned before, Portugal does want you to learn Portuguese and take a language test to become a citizen. But there also is a lot of English spoken here especially with the younger generation, but even a lot of the older generation, I'm, I'm often surprised. Uh, I am speaking from a Lisbon experience. I think if you go into the countryside, you're still going to have a, some, some language issues. But to me, coming from Japan and also someone who doesn't speak much Portuguese yet, it's really nice to have English available everywhere I'm going to set things up, to get things started. So I was, you know, setting up my bank account in English. I just went to Vodafone to like, I have to set up a new account there. And I first tried to speak Portuguese, but then I discovered that the, the Vodafone representative spoke perfect English. And I just felt this, I feel calm, I, especially as, you know, a woman who would be doing these things on her own. Uh, it's, it's, it's really nice to be in Portugal and it feels, 
despite the bureaucracy, which is a negative about Portugal, it is something that is frustrating when you get here. I'll explain that in a moment. Um, it, it's just nice to have English spoken uh, wherever you go. Another thing here you'll always see mentioned if you research Portugal is the weather. The weather is like, especially in the South, it's so sunny. It's like 300 days of sun a year. I think in the North near Porto and Braga, you're going to have more, much, many more rainy days, many more clouds. But if you want, if you want to live in the Southern part of Portugal, you can get sunshine. There are so many beaches. If you're a beach person, it's such a, you know, being by the beach is such a calming experience. And it was, it was not something I ever had in Ohio. And I didn't get to go to the, I didn't go to Tokyo Bay very often. I didn't fly to Okinawa in Japan very often either. I've only been twice. So I didn't feel so close to the ocean in Tokyo as I do here in Lisbon. And it's really nice. Um, and it's actually, it's also quite affordable for now <laughs> in Portugal. They do use the Euro, but they, you know, there's a big coffee culture here of like quick espressos, like standing up in a cafe and you can still get those for less than a Euro. And it's, you know, you can go out and the tip, there's not a huge tipping culture here at most you would expect to pay 10%. And only if you think that the service was outstanding uh, and even at a five-star restaurant, you probably would not pay more than 10% tip. And as an American, that's like, wow, really? Um, it feels, it feels nice. It doesn't feel that you're so pressured to support everyone because they're not getting enough pay from their own companies, you know, um, which, which is how I, I often feel in the U S I, I want to help people. I want to tip, but I also wish that they were getting more stability from their employers, you know? Um, here it feels more balanced and I really enjoy that. Um, another thing I, I want to mention on the positive side about Portugal is that there are, the community here is so vibrant. There are people coming in from so many different countries because of these open borders that Portugal has right now. And there are a lot of meetups. So again, I'm going to speak from the Lisbon perspective, but there's a lot of meetup groups from, on meetup.com. I had mentioned that digital nomads have their own meetup every Thursday night. You'll, you'll have like an event open up and a hundred people will sign up in two minutes. It's, it's so popular and you can go and, and meet all the, all these new people. There's always people coming into the city. There are many festivals in Portugal throughout the year. And unfortunately I haven't been able to experience any yet because of the pandemic, but the biggest one is on June 12th and 13th. And I am so excited to experience it hopefully next year. And from what I've heard, the streets of Lisbon just open up and they're full. Uh, the restaurants are all open. They're selling food on the streets. Everybody's partying and drinking and just meeting new people everywhere and eating sardines. That's one of the big things that day, but it just sounds like amazing from the YouTube videos I've seen. And I'm really excited to start attending these festivals. I've already noticed as we've opened up a bit more recently in Portugal that they're having book festivals. There's a lot of jazz there's so much live music and art everywhere that it's it's just inspiring. It's really vibrant here. And I was also told that Lisbon will stay open quite late into the night. I think normally 3 or 4 a.m. in the center, you'd have a lot of things still open. 
Uh, we are now open till 2 a.m. We're getting there, but I haven't seen that Lisbon yet, um, and I'm excited to see it. So I, I guess I should talk a little bit about the negatives, um, just in case you've, you've listened to me. If you've stayed with me, if you if you've stayed with me this whole episode, thank you. <laughs> um, but the negatives are there, and it you know there's always nothing is perfect. Um, I didn't mention this; I really should have. Lisbon is a very safe city, and you know I think it's like the third safest place in the world, apparently. Um, you know, these studies always change, but you'll see this statistic mentioned on many different websites. Like it's the third or the fourth safest. And it feels that way. It it's um I've walked around several times at night alone and I feel perfectly fine. And as I had mentioned, things are open quite late. So, you know, you it's things are the lights are on, it doesn't feel so there's, of course, there's always streets that if you start going up and it doesn't feel right, you know, turn around and come back to the, the lively area. But I think Lisbon is quite safe. But uh, as I mentioned before, there is a lot of bureaucracy in Lisbon. Don't expect to do anything quickly once you arrive in Lisbon. I think this is why my friend Nissa sent me to America to get things done and the initial things done. Uh, because it's, it's, I had to wait. So I'll give you an example. I got my temporary visa. When you get your visa, they also will say, here is the date of your immigration meeting in Portugal, which is when your temporary visa will convert to a full-time residency visa. At the time when I took my flight at the end of December to Portugal, by the way, that's when I told them I was going to go. So I flew in like December 30th and um, my my date was going to be March 29th. Well, the pandemic, I mean, it, it, it changed everything for everyone around the world, but probably a week or two weeks before that date, because they were up, they were closing. We were in a lockdown, actually, and every two weeks they would announce if the lockdown was going to continue or it was going to open. And so the immigration offices didn't know what was going to come next. So two weeks before my date, they said, lockdown's going to continue. We're going to reschedule you at a later date. And finally, like two weeks, three weeks after that, they said, your new date is going to be August 20th, 2021. You know, like five months later. And I was, I thought, oh my gosh, like, I mean, this is, do I have to really be here five more months to even get the residency? That's going to be a whole year. So, and and who knows what would have happened without the pandemic. I'm guessing I would have had my residency card six months after applying, but 
that what happened is I did go on August 20th and I had my residency meeting, but it took a really, you know, it, it, it was a long wait. You can leave Portugal if you have the date for your next meeting and you have the temporary visa, you're allowed to leave the country twice uh, during that time, which in fact I ended up doing, but it, it was a long wait. And, and that's just the bureaucracy. It's, it's how many people are applying and it's just how they do the system. I'm glad that there is a system, but it's, it's a slow process. Uh, also, you know, when you come to Portugal, you need to eventually convert your driver's license. And I've heard of people waiting for eight months, nine months to get their driver's license back. It's, you know, there's no straight line to anything. You will hear a lot of stories of how people sped up a process by walking into an office and insisting that they go to the counter. I mean, it's, it's really so many different little offices in Lisbon and all these different things you need to do. Uh, it, it does take a lot of research when you get here. So that's definitely a negative. If you're prepared for that and you're keeping all your papers together in one folder, uh, it, it's going to be fine. And, and I guess a key point is it will eventually work out, but it, you know, it is not, it is not a quick process. So be prepared to wait. And uh, it, you might be able to speed up a process if you hire a lawyer and you pay them a lot. But I have friends who've done that and nothing was any faster. So I ended up never hiring a lawyer. I just did it all myself. But this is, this is a thing. Uh, more downsides, I would say that in the winter, which I found out this year, there is not insulation in a lot of these old buildings in Lisbon. I mean, it's a very old city, right? And they do not insulate their houses unless the place has been remodeled. And so it, you're, you need a space heater in your room. You feel colder inside than outside. That is the same in Japan, by the way. And I thought I was going to avoid it when I got to Portugal, but I didn't do my research and I'm still wearing some of the same thermal clothing <laughs> that I did in Japan. So that's another thing to look out for. The other thing is that the taxes in Portugal are in some cases quite high, but this brings me to another thing that's really cool about getting your D7 visa or your golden visa. There's a scheme in, in Portugal that started in 2009, actually, and it's called the NHR system, which is the Non-Habitual Residence Program. And this is where, and this is also going to apply to me, um, you are allowed to have your income exempt in Portugal for 10 years. Um, now, I will say it, that it depends on what you're doing. So you're going to have to do the research and spend in this case, I actually hired someone to help me with this because I didn't want to make a mistake. And it's not expensive, but it's I thought it was necessary. Um, you need to formally apply for the NHR program when you get to Portugal and you have your visa. It's not, it's not something that magically happens, but you can apply for this program. And yes, if, as long as you've not been taxed in Portugal during the five years preceding the application you can be exempt from your, some of your taxes for up to 10 years. 
uh, as long as you are continue to be considered a tax resident. So look into the NHR program. I wanted you to be aware that it exists, but it is a fantastic benefit to also living in Portugal. I, I think that a lot of people would not have applied for these visas if they were not also exempt from tax for the first 10 years. But it's a great benefit. I, I did apply. I um, am having my tax exempt. I will have to pay Social Security contributions after the first year. But yeah, for now, it's really amazing. One other thing I should mention for anyone trying to have long-term residency, it's actually a really important point. There is something that's kind of equivalent to a Social Security number in Portugal. It's called a NIF, uh, Número do Identificação Fiscal, or often known as the Número do Contribuinte. It's this nine-digit number, and it's the first thing you need to do once you get to Portugal. Or you can get it under a foreign address before you get there. In fact, I would try to get it before you come by using an agency online. I'm going to put a link from the Portugalist.com to one of these agencies. If you're going to start in the U.S. and apply, you need to get your NIF first because it is what's going to allow you to open a bank account and um, move forward with all of these other things. The NIF is the first thing they want. And it's also a way to track your some of your purchases in Portugal when you buy things in stores. People will ask you, do you want me to put your NIF on that? And you don't have to, but if you do, it will show that you spent there and you can get some tax deductions when you file your tax return. Uh, but yes, the NIF is an important part of the whole puzzle. I'm going to put that, as I said, put the link on the schooloftravels.com. And I got my NIF from getting a power of attorney from my Portuguese lovely Portuguese couple that I had met, they went with me to an office when I was in Portugal last year before I applied and we got my NIF uh, put under their address. If I did it again, I wouldn't have done that because technically once you get your NIF, uh, you might be considered a tax resident from that moment if you, if you have it under a local address. But because it was so late in the year when I got it and because I was already like of the pandemic and all this stuff there, like I was not considered a tax resident last year, but that is just something to keep in mind. Please get your NIF attached with a foreign address through an agency. And then once you get to Portugal, you can switch the address to accommodation that you may find in Portugal. So I hope that this has been very educational and informative to those of you who might, may have been wondering what all this hype was about getting residency in Portugal, or you might have been wondering, Becky, why did you move to Portugal? Aren't you a digital nomad? Aren't you a traveler? Uh, I do intend to still be a traveler, but now I have a base and I am planning to be here half the year and then traveling to other places in the meantime. One cool thing about Portugal, though, is that it is in the Schengen area. Uh, it's, I think it's 26 countries. I hope I have that right. Um, 26 countries in Europe that are all in a zone where you don't have to have your passport stamped. Um, they're all considered like easy, you know, border-free travel. So I could go to Spain or France or Italy, for example, and they're not going to stamp my passport. So I can take these vacations, I can go, and I, I don't think I'm really getting like, you know, uh, it's not impacting that six months of residency in Portugal 
too much. So that's, that's what I hope I can do as well. Um, I'm really happy to be here now. I'm so excited that my immigration meeting on August 20th is now done. I actually did not want to make this episode for you until that was finished because I thought I don't know the whole process until then. Um, I was really nervous about that process last week, but it actually, I just needed to bring my passport and again, show my income and um, show importantly that I had a place I was going to be living and I could, I could show that I would be there for at least 12 months. I'm actually buying my first apartment uh, this Tuesday, which I can do another episode about in the future. If people are interested in the real estate environment here in Lisbon and how to buy, how to buy a place in Portugal with a Portuguese mortgage. I, I was approved for a mortgage, which was so exciting. I don't think I would have bought something here if I wasn't getting a mortgage from the bank here. And it's, it's really cool. Like I didn't even have my official resident card in Portugal yet. And they gave me a mortgage. It was, it was pretty incredible. Um, once I showed those things to the immigration officer, he took my fingerprints again. He, um, they took a photo and they just said, your card should arrive in four to five weeks. So that's where I'm at now. And I already have my NHR, my tax status is set up. I have my healthcare number with the healthcare system here. And it's, yeah, I'm really starting to feel Portuguese. And I have to say that it's hard as an American to like adjust sometimes to the European way of life in terms of like, I feel like I, I just have to always be working and work, work, work. And I'm, I'm really starting to adjust to enjoying life as well. Like having a better work-life balance that was also always hard to do in Japan. Um, it was even worse, I would say, than America in terms of work-life balance. But here, people enjoy the sunshine. They enjoy eating on, an, on a terrace somewhere, having a beer, looking at the sun, and going about their lives in a, in a calmer way. And that's, that's one thing I felt I, I needed to do for myself after all this time. I'm 39, if just to be transparent, and I felt like it was time for this kind of change. And I think it's, it's, it's been wonderful. It's, it's been hard with this bureaucracy and especially with the, pan with the pandemic on top of it all. But now that I am almost there, now that I'm going to be doing the final piece, which is the mortgage on Tuesday, I am so excited to have a base that also allows me the chance to still freely travel. I, I, I can't think of another place that has these kind of you know, these, this setup where I can be self-employed, still working for a client outside of Portugal, not even being taxed on that and able to live here, able to have healthcare, able to, to have this international airport. That's only a 10 minute drive from my apartment to go to all of these places. And it's, it's, I'm really excited for the future. And I am also excited to think about all the people that might be moving to Portugal. I already have a few friends that have contacted me and they want to do the same, even some that have already arrived and are starting the process. And if I flash forward a few more years and more and more of my nomad friends and even American friends have come over, it's, it's incredible to think what we can build here. Lisbon is such a hot spot these days for entrepreneurship and tech 
and cryptocurrency and all of these exciting new industries that are setting up shop here. And so if you give those things some time to marinate and get people together in one place uh, and in a place that they all enjoy living, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen in Portugal. I could talk for another hour with you uh, about Portugal. I haven't even touched on some other aspects, but Thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking here with me. And thank you for being devoted listeners of the School of Travels podcast. Um, check out the show notes, as I said. And until next time, stay state, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money in this world, living in this perfect world.